This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today. I am Laura Ordonez. I am the head of podcast ratings and reviews for Common Sense Media. For those of you who do not know Common Sense Media or are not familiar, we are the leading non the nation's leading nonprofit that's dedicated to enhancing the lives of kids and families through our media reviews, advocacy, and education. And just in April, we were really excited that we launched the first of its kind research back um, ratings and reviews for podcasts with kids, families, and educators in mind. So that really leads us to what we're talking about today, which is reflecting diverse experiences in kids' podcasts. And that's really been on our mind at Common Sense Media for quite some time. Um, it was really enhanced last year in all forms of media when we uh, launched our inclusion imperative report at the beginning of uh, 2021. And it was looking at the role of media representation um, in kids' ethnic and racial development. And what we found was two major findings. Um, well, one major finding for two, two reasons. And that was that parents were really demanding diversity in kids' content for two reasons, right? They wanted, number one, their kids to be exposed to people who looked different than them, who had different backgrounds, different abilities, right? Different cultures, different languages. They wanted their kids to see media that reflected the world they were living in, the diverse world they were living in. And that really helped to, that helps to develop empathy, you know, acceptance of others and understanding. The other was really representing the kids themselves, right? They want to look at their media and see themselves reflected in that, whether that's their own ability, whether that's their own language or culture, whether that's their own experience. And what that really helps kids do is feel a sense of self-acceptance, feel like they belong in this world, and feel a sense of self-courage, right? So in looking at that, we said it is our role as media ratings and reviews to look at what diversity looks like in kids' content. So we launched our diversity rubric, which did just that. We dived deep into all of our reviews and looking at what diversity looked in, like in all forms of media. So when I came on last year to really build up the podcast uh, ratings and reviews before launch, that was front of mind. And it was so different because that was at the foundation, right? We weren't going back and looking at that. We were looking at it before we even started ratings and reviews. And really what it did was it impacted a lot of what we were doing in the space, whether that was with our relationships and partnerships, with um, one of which is with Apple, where we curate their uh, kids and family space. And so we were looking at making sure that we represented diverse content and diverse podcasts within that. Um, we were doing that within our lists that we have on our site to create um, more discoverability for diverse content, right? And then also with our common sense seal selection, which really um, amplifies the best of the best in the podcast space. And we do look at diverse content as that kind of standard to look at. So, you know, it's been really impactful for us. But the bottom line really is that 
podcasts are becoming a medium that is so legitimate in the kids and family space, right? UTA just put out um, a report that said that 50% of three to 12 year olds are listening to podcasts. And I can guarantee you that is only going to continue to grow. So now we have to look at what does that mean when we're looking at diversity in podcasting, which is audio only, right? So that is what we're going to try to answer today with this amazing group of panelists that I have. Um, so I just want to introduce you to them. First, I have Martina Castro. Martina is an audio journalist, editor, producer, educator, podcast host, and founder and CEO of Adonde Media, a multilingual podcast production company based in LA. She worked with the likes of Netflix, Duolingo, and Radiotopia from PRX to both executive produce and host the Vivo Songbook, Duolingo Spanish Podcast, and Cancion Exploder. Next, I have Yuri Lasordo, currently the network operations manager for Radiotopia from PRX. But prior to that, she was working as a managing producer for Tracks from PRX, which was a division of podcasts for tweens offering 9 to 13-year-olds authentic, imaginative, and original stories representative of lived experience, both real and aspirational, and touching upon the issues important to tweens at this moment in their lives. Notable works include Cultureverse, which was a collaboration with Studio Achenta, and Live from Mount Olympics in collaboration with the Onassis Foundation. Next, I have Anthony Fraser. Anthony is an entrepreneur, digital strategist, and the CEO of ABF Creative, an award-winning multicultural podcast network that aims to provide insightful entertainment through both their original and collaborative work. ABF has created some amazing content for kids, including African Folktales with Miss Jojo, Charm Words, Daily Affirmations for Kids, and most recently partnered with Wondery for Adventures of Cairo. And last but certainly not least, we have Matthew Winner. Matthew is the head of audio at A Kids Co., an empowering collection of books and podcasts for kids of all ages, meant to spark important and insightful discussion. Matthew has worked on all 11 podcasts uh, for A Kids Co., including a kid's book about the podcast, The Activators, a kid's po podcast about activism, and the newest kids news podcast, Sarah Jones Breaks It Down. Thank you all so much for being here to share all of your valuable insight. So all of you have something in common that I love, which is each of you has come into the podcast space with the same goal to diversify content for kids in a really unique way. So I would like just for each of you to kind of briefly describe how you and the companies that you represent really work toward that goal. And why do you feel that podcasts are such an important tool for reaching that goal? And I, I'd like to start with you, Martina. Sure. Thank you guys so much for being here today. It's really exciting to talk about this. I'm a little... Um, like starstruck and also honored to be in this panel because we're the, I think maybe, I'm pretty sure, the newest um, member on this panel to the kids and family space. Um, but to answer your question, uh, Laura, I, I mean, it's an extension of what we do with everything that we're making at Adonde. Um, I, 
I started as a public radio journalist, so there's something of that mission always that kind of I take with me into the work that we're doing, which is to expand the people who we believe are deserving of the stories we have to tell. Um, so we've expanded into different languages. That was the first block that I saw. No one's telling these stories that are so powerful in other languages. Um, but what does that mean? Like when you're trying to do that, um, you have to do it in a thoughtful way. <laughs> and I think what makes a difference with how we approach that work is that we always are thinking about the people whose stories we are telling as being the authority on that story and not trying to pretend that we know better than anybody else. Now, that also means that our team is reflective of that diversity that we are trying to put into every story. Um, so it started with the first podcast we made, uh, which was Duolingo Spanish. Um, when you're teaching people how to practice their listening comprehension with true stories uh, in Spanish, you could do that one way. Or the way we decided, which is we're going to tell it from the entire Spanish-speaking world in every accent and regional accent that you could imagine. Um, and the people who lived that story are going to tell it themselves. And so these are things that I, you know, looking back, I can see the roots of that public radio, public mission embedded into all of it. But, you know, wanting to really reflect the authenticity of the people whose stories you're trying to tell is the beginning. Uh, and I think our, our mission has always been to to do that through sound. And I think it's really interesting you bring that up. Like, how do you do that through sound? How do you reflect diversity through sound? Well, you definitely got to not just say that Spanish is spoken in one accent. <laughs> we start there. Um, and so you actually will hear different accents in the stories that we're telling um, now for kids, which is really exciting. We're about to launch our first podcast that's from us for children. It's a Spanish adaptation of the Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls series. Um, and it was really important to us that we had geographic, actual linguistic um, um, diversity in what you were hearing reflected as the Spanish version. Um, but also, we included kids, <laughs> and we included kids from the Spanish-speaking world um, who also tell the stories and lead in the interviews with each of our narrators. If you're not familiar with the, with the series, it's, it tells stories of incredible women throughout history. Um, but I think what's also interesting is that we don't pigeonhole anybody. Like even with the Vivo songbook, which we did for Netflix and Sony Pictures, it's the behind the scenes of a movie. Um, you could say, I think that like there's one authority on, on what that story is, but to, to reflect really the true diversity, we go to a lot of different sources. And so I think it's a, just an extension of our mission, which is that we really try to let the storyteller and the people who really own that story be the guide. Um, and we hope that that's a way to really embed that diversity in every story that we tell. Thank you. And Yuri. That was so great, Martina. Yeah. Thank you, Yuri. <laughs> um, also, thank you, everybody, for being here. Um, this is a topic that's really near and dear to my heart. Um, so Trax um, is a project of PRX, which is a nonprofit organization with deep roots in public media. And it was um, funded by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. So Trax was very much a part of the public media ecosystem. and. Um, 
as I think we all believe, um, public media um, is supposed to serve everybody. And um, we have not always done a great job of serving this particular age group that uh, Trax was targeting, nine to 13 year olds. Um, there's a lot of content for the, for the littles and then it starts to pick up again for the, for the teens. But you know, what, what's out there uh, that's quality um, for this age group? Um, so that was one mission that we had in mind. But also um, tracks, you know, I would be uh, remiss um, if I didn't um, mention Michelle Smalley, who was our founding executive producer, who hired me and brought me onto this project. So we were both um, personally very motivated to um, make sure that the content we were bringing into the network um, reflected diverse audiences, um, diverse experiences in children, because she's a black woman, um, a single mother. Um, she had adopted uh, a little boy from Ethiopia who was a tween at the time of this project. Uh, I'm also raising two biracial daughters. So we're both um, two single moms um, who are raising kids with multicultural backgrounds and really finding in our own lives that there is a dearth a, of uh, quality content that reflected our experiences. So that's where um, we were coming from with tracks. Anthony? Sure. So with ABF, you know, we actually started out as a company that was creating content for all audiences. And when we when COVID happened, we saw that there was a lot of black families who were at home kind of schooling their kids, just trying to you know, make up for what they were losing every day. And so we, we thought, why not make a podcast? called African Folk Tales, where it's just kind of going over some ancient tales and maybe kind of having the lessons be embedded into that uh, entertainment form. And so uh, that was our first podcast as a kid's company, and it led to us completely becoming a kid's company altogether and just dropping everything else. Uh, but what I would say is uh, we, we like to say we make insightful entertainment because a lot of the kids that we're trying to reach don't necessarily need someone to tell them how they live, right? Like they know what their reality is. They know who they are. They know the everything that they, they, real, they go through these harsh realities. So our goal is not necessarily to repeat those, but reflect them, you know, like, hey, I wanna see myself. I don't wanna hear about you know, you don't have to tell me about myself. I just want to see someone who looks like me and see them overcome what challenge it is that I'm going through. And so that's the kind of entertainment we want to make, you know, and, and that's what we're all about. And that's, that's our angle. And Matthew? So for those of you in the audience that aren't making kids podcasts, revel in what people are bringing in front of the kids that are inheriting the world that, that we've set up for them, right? At a Kids Co, uh, we know that kids are ready to have big conversations, but we know that grown-ups are often not ready. We don't know the way to go into these spaces. Uh, we limit the world that kids know is just ever-expanding. And so at a Kids Co, when we're working on our, our, our first year, uh, I come from two decades of education, fourth grade teacher and then school librarian. Um, and then uh, in the pandemic, uh, stepped into this role of head of podcast. And that first year we created 10 original shows for kids, 150 episodes across the shows. And we have two more beyond that. So we have uh, 12 total shows now. 
what we seek to do through our shows uh, is, is what a good teacher or person in the life of a child does, which is we seek to build trust. Uh, we seek to save space for that child's voice. We seek to protect their agency and their dignity in the things that we're working on. We seek to talk up to those children, uh, knowing that we only have a very limited amount of time until these kids grow up. So it's important that we make the work we're doing now count. Uh, and so everything we do, and I, I know this goes the same for my panelists, everything we do runs through that filter of, this is good, but is it good enough for kids? Because it, it has to be better uh, when we're serving children. Because we know, as Stephen Sondheim writes in Into the Woods, be careful the things you say, children will listen. Uh, and so we want to make sure that every, every step we take in front of children, that, that we're taking that responsible step, and also that if we're failing, we fail forward. We learn together. Um, and in particular, in, in our case, with these different shows, we want to continually ask ourselves, whose voice is not being heard? Uh, what voice needs to be represented in this space? Whether that's a queer voice, uh, whether that's an indigenous voice, a black voice, a voice of a single parent, uh, a voice of an addict, a voice of uh, an elderly individual. I don't know. All voices matter as long as we are willing to listen to their story and value the space that that voice is sharing with us. Thank you all. I'm, this is obviously why these individuals are all here. Um, and what's really great is that you've all worked in some capacity with other networks, and that's looked different for, for each of you and how you're doing that. Um, I, I want to first start with Anthony. And when working with you know, another production company, kind of like as a consultant or as in a partnership to bring that diverse perspective authentically, um, what are some, you know, challenges that you've come up against, but also some triumphs in, in that process? Uh, for us, and I want to give a shout out to my executive producer, Wanda Reynolds, who's on the first row. So she deal with a lot of this with me. So, uh, <laughs> but for us, it's all about uh, our unique perspective. Like we know if someone wants to work with us uh, to create something that appeals to audiences they might not necessarily have access to, um, then they have to respect that we know what we're talking about. <laughs> it's just that it's just that simple, and you know we won't we won't budge in that. You know our unique perspective is so important, um, and we know how to tap into perspectives that you know, we might not possess ourselves. And so we, we have access to people and communities that they might ne not necessarily have. The, some of the trouble that we've had with certain clients might, you know, and early on in our, in our, in our journeys, have, uh, we've, we've come to clash with that, you know, where we had to, you know, fire a client. You know, it's, it's, it's happened, um, or a client might, ask for something that we feel like, hey, this is kind of off, and then we have to tell them about themselves, you know? And I think it's just, it's, it's important because we, we face those things early, and so, you know, there's a deeper conversation because now when we negotiate working with someone, that's built in, you know, early, very early in, 
And, you know, and so that, that's not necessarily, you can't necessarily come late to the party with a lot of those things. You got to build that in at the beginning, at the top. Uh, but, but, you know, we, we know that we bring a really powerful, unique perspective. And so we want people who want to work with us to understand that and respect that and give us a space to tell the stories that we know matter. And I love that because you're really standing up for that and standing up for your values because you know who that audience is, right? It's kids and it makes such a difference in their lives. You can't really fake the funk with them. And if you do, it's impactful later in their life, right? Um, Yuri, I want to turn it to you because you've kind of been on the other end. I, I think a lot about an amazing show called Time Storm and you've been there to really um, bring someone else in, bring a different voice in to reflect that diversity, kind of like opposite from what we were talking about with Anthony. Can you kind of just um, go through that process through how you did that with, with Timestorm and what that looked like? Sure. Um, so Tracks is a network of shows that are actually owned by the producers. Tracks doesn't own these shows. Um, that's actually a hallmark of working with PRX. Um, we work with independent producers. Um, when Tracks was being launched, um, Michelle just kind of looked everywhere for content. Um, and uh, it just so happens that PRX runs a uh, training program uh, that's sponsored by Google. And they put out a worldwide uh, call um, every time they run a new cohort. And um, at the time that Tracks was coming together, there was this team with the show called Timestorm that was um, I think they were almost at the end of the program. So Timestorm, if you aren't familiar, is a uh, fiction podcast where uh, two uh, tweens, two tween twins, <laughs> a boy and a girl, um, they're Puerto Rican. Um, they travel through, time travel through 500 years of Puerto Rican history on a mission that they have been given by an ancestor from their past. And so... Um, we really love working with them. They're super collaborative. Um, I uh, should mention that um, Trax has a tween advisory group called the Trax Squad. Again, we put out a nationwide call uh, to assemble this um, advisory group. And um, you know they've always uh, really welcomed feedback from these kids. Um, and I think it really helped them uh, craft their content. It's a three season show and you can really hear the um, uh, I don't want to say improvement, but um, evolution. yeah, evolution. Thank you. Um, you know, as they um, had access to these kids that we were able to give them um, to uh, uh, evolve their content. <laughs> we're all helping each other here. I love it. Um, and that's that's something big. You know, I know that that you spoke about this with um, with. Timestorm and like really discovering, but I think what's hard too is what about those creators that are creating diverse content, but they're independent creators or they're not attached to a larger network or they're just frankly not white and don't have the same amount of privilege to be able to get their content into these bigger networks because they don't have those connections. Martina, I know you and I had really talked about this um, when we had all talked together and I would just love to get a little more of your perspective on what can, you know, what's out there for these content creators to get their work noticed? I mean, I have to say, I, I've participated in the Google uh, Podcast Creator Program. It is, 
alone in its class in terms of what's available to people outside of the United States. Like, I mean, if you think things are hard in the US, imagine in a corner of El Salvador. Uh, it, there, it is very, very hard to find a program like that um, that gives so much resources and support to creators um, around the world. Um, but, you know, I think that it speaks to this larger issue, right? I, I know, I hear the industry say, we want more diverse content, we want diverse creators, but we can't find them. <laughs> I was like, well, it takes more than just being in the corner that you're in um, to find them. You do truly have to expand and open up new avenues to go to where they are. It is, it is absolutely from a place of privilege to say they need to come to you. Um, so, you know, for example, we have been looking inward and seeing the places where we're lacking diversity, even though I have a staff almost entirely of Latin American and um, mostly women, like I, we don't have as much representation from Afro-Latinos or Latinos from indigenous backgrounds. And so we're launching a fellowship program to bring creators from those communities into the space and train them in podcasting. We're um, partnering with organizations that do that kind of work to go out and find these candidates because they might not hear about this program. It is so much more work than just saying, we really want to do this, we have the money, come to us and we'll give it to you. I wish it were that easy, um, but it's, it's, it's a million things that you have to do to actually do the work of diversifying the podcast industry. <laughs> it's just a fact. Um, but I really invite you all to do it. It's very, very gratifying in the end. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I could probably talk a lot longer about that. Thank you so much. And speaking of, um, you know, just really discoverability and what's going on in the space, um, I, I want to there's been a lot of different reports that have come out, and one of them that I really want to focus on um, and bring this back to you, Anthony, is that um, in 2021, Edison did a report on black listenership. And what I found was so interesting there was the number of black listeners are rising, but what was really interesting was that only 15% were listening to content that was fam kids and family. However, they also polled these people or surveyed these people and said, they would be, 50% of them said they were interested in listening to kids and family content if it would be primarily include black stories and perspectives. So how do you ensure that these stories are being told from that perspective, for that perspective, and not just to that perspective? I mean, yeah, I mean, I think the way we approach, especially with our original content development, is by really like going to the community. A lot, of, a lot of kids and families that we reach and we talk to, many of them are just now beginning their podcast journey. Um, and so there's a lot of education involved for us as we try to expand. And I think everyone benefits from the work that we do. Um, because once we get you know a kid in and he's like, oh, I like African folktales, but I like, a kid's about better, you know, let me go over there, right? Or I, got, I like this one better. So it expands the entire industry, the, the work that we doing. So we feel like, hey, you know, we're the innovators. We're gonna have the most knives in our back because we're, we're the most arrows and you know, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna take all the hits. Uh, but with that, you know, it's gratifying because 
you know, we're reaching and we're getting data that nobody else has. And so we're reaching groups like, you know, we just made a partnership with uh, a, a church group. There's like 50,000 families in it, um, black families, and they want to talk. They want to learn how to get into podcasts. They want to listen to podcasts. They want, you know, what do you have doing? What do you have going on? We can never get that from an Apple marketplace, right? You can't get that from a Spotify. You can't. There's no keywords. And there's not enough keywords to reach that audience. Like, this, it's not happening. You know, you can't SEO your way there. Like, you just got to be in the community. And so that's, that's how we kind of tap into those audiences. And since we're having these conversations, we understand what's at the, what's at the you know, forefront is of their minds. A lot, of, a lot of black moms, you know, tell us, like, hey, you know, my son needs to focus in the morning. Um, you know, he, he, he's not getting ready for school. He has behavioral issues. So we created a podcast called Charm Words. It's all about affirmations in the morning, three minutes long. And we've gotten tons of feedback to say, hey, my, my kid is actually responding to this in a positive way. So that was just one example of how we're kind of using the, the feedback that we get, you know, on the ground to uh, inform our development process. But there's no scalable way to do that right now. So you're either duct taping your process or you're not doing anything at all. Right. And that feedback is so important. When we talk about diversity, it's not just um, ethnicity and race and culture. It's even broader than that. And I want to bring this to you, um, Matthew, because within our reviews, we really focus a lot on um, discussion questions that can come from the media that kids are watching or listening to. And a lot of your shows prompt that, right? You deal with issues that are difficult issues to talk about, but important. LGBTQ plus issues, um, gender, uh, trying to figure out gender. What does that look like? What does that mean, right? Um, really helping kids understand who they are, dealing with things like racism, dealing with things like bullying, right? You guys kind of run the gamut of really important topics. I want to just kind of, if you can touch on briefly, just how you kind of get through that gatekeeper that is the parent, right? Because it's all about building trust. That is the person between you and the listener who is the child. How do you guys navigate that? Right. Well, here's my, here's my controversial take. I think that... Um, most of us adults that listen to podcasts, we listen to podcasts to distract ourselves from the other stuff going on. We're going to wash dishes and listen to podcasts or mow the lawn or do whatever. Listening to podcasts, it's a solitary thing. I get to be in my head. Um, and I think when we apply that to children, we do a lot of damage. If we're going to make a thing for kids and just go, I'm doing this so that the parent can have a break, uh, to me feels detrimental. I feel like a way we can flip that on its head is to say, well, what can we make to invite the grown-up in to listen with that child. Let's share this space together. Make something that uh, a parent won't be turned off by. It'll be produced in such a way that feels like, feels like other stuff that they listen to, and yet the, the content is so unequivocally for children, and children feel ownership in that space and want to go run off and binge it without their grown-up. <laughs> want to go listen to the other things. I think the way that we do that is by honoring the whole child by knowing that nothing that any of us can make will reach every single child. Uh, and so if we approach with an acknowledgement that I'm gonna miss some things, and I'm gonna tell you, listener, that I'm gonna miss some things, but I'm also gonna tell you 
that I'm going to start at this base and we're going to scaffold our way up so that you don't need to feel like if we're talking about sexual abuse and how it affects two out of five children under 18, you don't need to feel like this is a scary, dirty topic, but rather by listening, you're empowering yourself. You are dismantling the scary and finding power in those difficult conversations. That's the way we try to approach what we do, not to be exhaustive, not to be, frankly, not to be entertaining. We know that there can be engagement and entertainment once you find yourself in that content. Um, but first we have to make sure again about building trust, about seeing that child that's there and acknowledging I'm gonna do the best I can and I'm, I'm gonna get it wrong, but I'm gonna try. Um, and so some of that comes from, from my perspective, really finding hosts that, that I trust, that I know they have something to say in that space. We have, I'm in love with all of our shows. I listen to all of our shows as fans, and I, I don't say that lightly. I, I'm a fan of the people that make shows with us, and one in particular is called Everyday Feels, and Nikita Simpson and Aunt Dr. Anne Louise Lockhart are making this show about emotions that both serves as an opportunity for kids and grown-ups to learn how to talk about emotions together, but also works with that grown-up to destigmatize having professional conversations around mental health and also destigmatize the notion of having a hard feeling and, and wanting to just get past it. Right. That it's okay to, to, to be in it and know that I'm just as defined by my happiness as I am by my hardship, and that's okay. Um, so I think, that, I think that that's where we're really trying to push is we know those parents are gatekeepers, but we also know that just like those kids are looking for answers, the grown-ups are looking for answers. Yeah. We just have pride that gets in the way. Yeah. But on a podcast, I don't, you don't need to worry about pride. You just, no one needs to know what, what's on that RSS feed that you're subscribing to. And so we try to make a thing that says, it's okay for you, kid, and for you, grown-up, to come in just as you are. Because just as you are, that's the way we want you on this show. And it's a whole family listening experience to that. Um, and when I think about a whole family listening experience, you know, Edison came out with its second or um, its newest um, Latino listenership report recently. And what I loved about the first one is that maybe it didn't have kids and family in mind, but there was a trend toward not only higher listening listenership for Latino families, but that they were listening at home with their families, which kids are involved in that, right? But as we were building, we're building a list for bilingual podcasts, and I'm like, hello, where are all these podcasts? Like, how am I finding them? We know that discoverability is an issue in the space, but also my thought was, is it discoverability or is it that the content's not being made? So Martina, can you just kind of speak to, is it both? Is it one or the other? Uh, it's a little bit of a chicken and egg problem, right? Like Because um, yes, I think it is a discoverability issue. Absolutely. If you are in the United States, you're being marked. I mean, like, let's think about how you find out about a podcast. A friend told you, obviously, word of mouth, gold. Um, it's kind of crazy, though, that we're this far along. <laughs> and that's still the best way to find out about a podcast. And then the second best way is uh, like the carousel, right, on the platforms. And that is 
determined by your IP address. And if you're in the United States, you're going to be marketed content in English. It's a fact. You might be a Spanish speaker. I, con I consume content in Spanish. I have to know what I'm searching for and search for it. And so it, it, is, it used to be a little bit easier to surf between different countries. You could switch the country you were in and pretend that you were in like Spain and see what's the top podcast in Spain, but it's harder to do now. So just the tech hasn't quite caught up to people who want multilingual content from a country that should be considered multilingual but isn't yet technologically. So there's that barrier. Um, but yeah, the incentive to make these podcasts is harder when the tech doesn't make it discoverable. I think we've had some really interesting um, podcasts made bilingually and different strategies, right? Of like, okay, we're going to make an English, I think, um, uh, every, everything about, well, the, I, not in kids space, but like just in general, everything about Selena, um, I can't remember if that's the full, best the, the full title, but that was made in English and Spanish, and they put English and Spanish episodes in one feed to make it more discoverable. But the cover art is in English. So if you look at it, do you know that's in, that it, it's in Spanish? It's like so hard. So we're like trying to tinker with a very limited avenue to get to the people who want to listen to our work. I mean, it's it's tough. And I think that's why, for us, the safest bet was let's adapt an existing um, podcast brand, has a lot of reach. We know the books sold super well in Spanish. Okay, we've got the publisher in on this. Rebel Girls was an obvious you know, adaptation into Spanish, but I bet we will also face challenges making sure that you know, parents who want to teach their kids Spanish or want to, you know, give them both of the English and Spanish experience are going to have a tough time finding us because, well, hopefully not now that common sense is going to help us out. We're trying, <laughs> but, we're trying. Yeah, discoverability, I, the short answer you know, in, some, in summary is, is kind of what is not, that the issues with discoverability are not incentivizing the creators to go out and make it because if we can't, if we make something that no one's going to be able to find then yeah, it's harder to harder to make a case for it. Yeah, and Yuri, I know we're starting to get to time, but I wanted to ask you. You know, you you spoke on really that tween space, right? That has been kind of the unanswered space, um, and Trax is doing like an amazing job with that. But just from your perspective, not only as a creator and someone in the space, but as a parent, right? Can you just kind of speak to like for the audience, what is some of the white space out there that you think? needs to be filled? Oh, that's a really great question. Well, to tie back into the discoverability issue, um, I think one of the big themes of this year's podcast movement has been video. Kids are already on video. Um, I heard at the um, YouTube uh, panel earlier today that um, eight to 32 year olds, they, go to, they already go to YouTube for everything. Um, not just content, but also just information. Whereas like we may go to Google, um, younger, the youth, <laughs> they're going to YouTube. So I think that might be- And TikTok. Yeah, it's <laughs> totally. Um, so I think that's a big, um, I think that's a big opportunity there. Um, other space, white space out there for kids. Um, I'm really excited by um, the prospect of um, like a merging between audio and gaming because we know gaming is huge and Studio Ochenta just put out a bilingual interactive podcast. Um, so I, uh, 
kids have, they don't have preconceived ideas of what a podcast should be or what audio can be. Um, they're really so much more open to this uh, medium than adults. So um, I think the, the answer to this question is like whatever you can think of really. And, and it's to that point with the video in both of those, um, the reports that we mentioned from Edison, both the black listenership and the um, Latino listenership, they said that the point of entry for podcasts for both of those listeners was YouTube, right? They're, they're already there, right? Whether that's looking, you know, they need a visual element or that's just already where they are, um, you know, that's where they are, meet them where they are. To your point, you know, Anthony earlier, meet them where they are. And I think that, you know, for us, when we're looking at how to review content, we can't review content and highlight content that's diverse for kids, for teens, for tweens, unless it's made, right? How are we supposed to amplify that unless it's made? We have the tools to do it. We have these par this partnership with Apple where we could amplify this in a space that so many listeners are. We wanna grow those partnerships to be able to amplify the, that on different platforms, but it needs to be made, right? Um, and I'll just kind of pose the, the, same, the same question um, just briefly for everyone else. I'll start with Martina, just a real quick like, just advice or white space that you'd say, go out there and do it. I know we were supposed to think about this and I didn't. I can move it, I can move it. Okay, okay, good, else. okay, good. Matthew, you go first. I got it, I think, I think <laughs> hands the down, top. the space that we need representation, we need voices is in the queer space. Mm -hmm. And this is a very gentle, careful walk we have to make, but I think also um, allowing kids to teach us to share their voice about this is what my gender exploration looks like. This is what, um, this is how I'm learning about myself. I think not, not us grown-ups being like, here's my difficult coming out story because we all have those. And I know that often the media likes to fetishize that, but I think that m more space where kids are using their voice to tell us what they're interested in and what they think of the world and us listening. Yeah. I want that hit podcast that a kid has made that the entire grown-up world is listening to, being like, yeah. did you hear this eight-year-old's podcast? Oh my word, it's fantastic. <laughs> okay. That's what I want. Yeah, and Anthony, do you have anything to add to that? I mean, definitely, you know, for me, just figuring out what diverse, I, I think there's always um, this, gray area and what does diversity sound like in audio because it's so easy to show diversity but it's sometimes really hard to pinpoint when you to hear diversity and so we've had that you know problem and we're getting really bad we're like really good at it now i would say like at this point because that was a big problem you know we would we were like well we need someone who sounds black. Well, what does sounding black sound like? Right, that's right. a very, that's a very <laughs> controversial thing to you know amongst our team. Like, oh, what does that mean? We don't want to yeah. you know. So, I think just really just getting really good at like sounding like what your what the experience is for the person you're trying to reach. I yeah. think that would be my advice yeah. to any creator out there is to really try to capture experience and not necessarily. Uh, a voice that needs to sound like something. The experience needs to sound like it more than anything, so. And 
That's so important. I'm so sorry we didn't leave time for question and answers, but we will all, I think, hopefully be available, whether after or if you see us around. Please just think about, you know, what, what Anthony just said and what everyone has said today is, I would just say, go think about your first audio experience you ever heard. Why did it impact you? And where did you say, that sounds like my family? That sounds like me, right? Close your eyes and do that even when listening to watching a show. And go create content from there for people like you that want to connect. Thank you.